right. Good morning, church. Come on. Good morning, church. I know it's summer. Everybody's out of school. You've probably been sleeping in late, but that's okay. Hey, uh, glad you're here this morning. Today we begin a new series, a new summer series here at Riverside. So if you just walked in this morning, it's a good timing. I'm, 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 glad, I'm glad you're here today. What we want to do over the next few weeks here at Riverside through this summer is look at the Gospel of Mark. The story of Jesus is told by one of his earliest followers, a guy by the name of Mark, and trace his movements throughout the story. And as we do that, what I want you to do is I want you to take notice of, of a couple of things. First... Where do you see Jesus moving? Where where do you see him doing? Where do you see him moving? And then where do you think Jesus is calling you to make a move in your life? I love the Gospel of Mark because it's action-packed. It seems like I try to go through the Gospel of Mark. I can show you my Bible and and with a green highlighter, because green kind of means go, you know, under highlight all the action words in the Gospel of Mark. When I got done, the whole thing was green. Like Mark just moves so quickly through the story of Jesus and he tells a beautiful story of Jesus. And I think there's something there for all of us to think about as we trace the movements of Jesus, but also ask the question, where does Jesus want us to make a move in our hearts and in our lives? And so what I want to ask you to do, what I want to challenge you to do and us to do as a church is this summer, as we do this, what I want to ask you to do is for you to spend your time, your quiet time, your daily time with God in the Gospel of Mark, reading for yourself the story of Jesus as told by Mark. You know, one of the things that we hope is true of every person that's a part of this church here at Riverside is that every day you're praying, you're talking to God, and every day you're reading his word and you're letting God speak to you. And so what I want to be true this summer for us as a church is that together, just for the next few weeks, we just sort of sync that up And on a personal level, if you'll just spend time in the Gospel of Mark, reading the story of Jesus, the way Mark tells it, and see what God reveals to you, see what God speaks to you, see where Jesus maybe is challenging you to make a move in your heart and in your life. All right, so today, what I want to start with as we kind of begin this together is this question. And I think this is a brilliant question. You you may not, but I think it is. It's It's a question that everyone's asking, and I want to just ask it very pointedly to you this morning. And this is it. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? Some of you are probably thinking, I don't know what I'm doing here. Like somebody promised that uh, they would buy me lunch if I came to church today. And so that's why I'm here. You know, uh, know, maybe these guys over here, these teenagers thought, man, mom and dad will let me pick lunch if I get out of bed and get here on time. I don't know. I don't know what you're doing here. Maybe you don't know what you're doing here. I am glad you're here. I think this is maybe one of the biggest questions that, that people ask, what, what am I doing here? I remember a few years ago, uh, my wife and I, Alicia, our family, we were a part of a, a small group that met on Sunday nights. And so Sunday night rolled around and we get everybody in the, the car to go to our friend's house about five, ten minutes away to go to, to, go to you know, a small group at their house. And we go in and you know, knock on the door, walk in. Everybody's having coffee and refreshments and just kind of catching up on the week. And all of a sudden, I, I don't remember what it was, but Alicia and I, we, somehow one of us remembered that we had forgotten something at home, something important we, we had to have. And so I volunteered. I'm like, let me, let me, you stay here. I'll run back to the house and I'll get it. It's just, you know, five, six minutes away and I'll come right back. So I go home, get whatever it was that we forgot, one of the kids night nights or something, come, come back. And I'll never forget what happened next because I, I parked the car really close to where I'd parked before, like really close in the same area of the street. 
And, and the house was up kind of on a hill. So I walked up the, the steps to the house and I thought, I've already been here. You, you've done this, right? I've already been here. I, I'm not going to knock again or ring the doorbell again. I'm just going to walk in because everybody's in there waiting on me anyway. So I, I opened the door and I walk right in and immediately this sensation came over me like something is very wrong here. Like, first of all, I don't hear all the conversation going on around me of all my friends and getting ready for a small group. I don't smell the coffee. I don't see kids running around. It, it looks a little different in here. And there's two people staring at me that I don't know. And they're asking me this question, what are you doing here? <laughs> I had walked into the wrong house. <laughs> it was the next door neighbor. I was only one off, but I was, I was wrong. <laughs> what are you doing here? Uh, in 2002, you may remember this. Rick Warren wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Life. You remember this? Five years later in 2007, that book had already sold over 30 million copies. I don't know how many it sold to date. Why? Because people want to know the answer to this question. What am I doing here? Even people of faith want to know the answer to this question. What am I doing here? What's my purpose? Why do I exist? Why am I waking up every morning going through the same thing every day? What am I doing here? What's my purpose? What in the world is going on? Again, one of the things that Alicia and I have noticed is we sort of just, you know, have worked with kids and students for a long time. And we watch those parents that in our minds is like, okay, they're doing it right. One of the things that we've noticed and observed, it seems like those parents that it just seems like it's, it's working out for their family, for their kids. One of the things that's always consistent is that those parents have done a really good job of helping their kids find their purpose. Find their why, find their reason, find their thing, find what they're good at and, and, and go for it and, and kind of become, you know, live into that purpose. And so what is that for you? Why are you here? What's your purpose? The good news is that God does have a purpose for your life. The reality is, is that your purpose is more important than you could ever think or imagine. And here's the thing that you may not think about, but it's true. That you don't even know. You don't even know what hangs in the balance of your decision to live into God's purpose for your life. You don't even know what hangs in the balance of your decision to live into God's purpose for your life. For your life. So Mark tells the story of Jesus. And I know if you, if you know your Bible, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark is the second in, in, in the order, but it was actually the first gospel written, the first story written about Jesus. And most people think that Mark was this guy named John Mark we read about in Acts. And, and again, scholars think that he probably followed Peter to Rome and learned a lot of these stories about Jesus from the firsthand eyewitness account of Peter, at least those stories that John Mark himself didn't know about. Whatever the case, Mark took these stories and he arranged this beautiful story of the life and death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. And he tells a story in such a beautiful, a beautiful way. And I want you, if you, if you have your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 1. If you have the, the, the Bible app, as Jason alluded to earlier, you can open up that. Click more, click events, and then you'll see the notes and the text for today. In Mark chapter 1, verse 1, this is how Mark starts his story. About Jesus. Mark says, This is this is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. 
And just push pause right there. Because if I, th- I think if you're anything like me, the temptation is to read that and then to keep moving. But in the very first sentence, Mark does something that for his readers, it would have been like, you know, mind blown. Because out of the gate, Mark does two things that nobody before had ever done and nobody ever thought he would ever do. The first thing Mark does, he says, he says, this is the good news, the gospel. That's the word that you and I use about Jesus. And when you and I think about good news or gospel, probably what you think about is Jesus. You think about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But this is not what people would have thought of when they first read this letter, the story that Mark had written. The original word there for, for good news or good tidings or gospel is the Greek word euangelion. And literally, that's what it meant. This is good news. It was the idea of a messenger coming to town with news of victory, news that the battle had been won, news that peace was, was, was on the way because the victory had been, had been won, news that our, our sons and our husbands are on their way home because they have won the victory and now they are headed home. Things are going to be the way they are supposed to be. This is the euangelion. This is the good news. I bring you good tidings because peace is on the way. The battle has been fought and won and everything is going to be okay. Everything is going to be the way that it's supposed to be. And what Mark says is this is, he takes that word and he applies it to Jesus. This is the good news. This is the gospel. Jesus has come. Everything is going to be okay because Jesus has come. The battle has been fought and Jesus has won. So here's the story. Here's the good news. Here's the gospel. It all revolves around this guy named Jesus, who is the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, who is, and this is the other big moment, the Son of God. And if you lived at the time when Mark wrote these words, and you heard the words, Son of God, especially if he wrote this from the city of Rome, what you think about is the Roman emperor. He was the son of God. He was divinity. He was the one that euangelion was announced about. He was the one that good news was announced about. It was about the son of God who through his conquest and victories brought peace to his kingdom. The son of God is not the son of a Jewish carpenter from a town that nobody knows about called Nazareth. But Mark says, you want to know the real euangelion? Here's the real good news. It's about Jesus. And he is the real son of God. And this is how it all began. Mark says this, it began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. Again, he's doing something no one had ever done before. He's reading their scriptures, their Jewish Bible, through the lens of Jesus. And he says, it began just the way Isaiah said it. Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and he preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including including the people, all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he, this is big right here, this is weird, this is different. He baptized them in the Jordan River. And his clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. Again, he's a different kind of dude. 
It's a different kind of guy doing something no one had ever seen before, saying things no one had ever heard before. This is how it all began. It all began because God was going to send someone to prepare the way. The Lord is coming, but God is going to send someone to prepare the way for his arrival. And that someone is John the Baptist. Now, I know what you're thinking, and he wasn't Baptist. He got that nickname because he was a baptizer. And again, no one had ever done this before. Uh, There were baptistries, dozens of them, all around the temple in Jerusalem. And what people would do before they went to worship is they would go to one of these baptistries and they would walk down into it by themselves and submerge themselves, immerse themselves in the water, then walk up out the other side and then go to worship, making themselves ceremonially pure and clean to go worship the living God. That was common. What John was doing out in the wilderness, literally in a deserted place, was uncommon. What he was doing was different. No one had ever seen anyone baptize somebody else before, but that's what John was doing. So they called him John the Baptizer. But it wasn't just what he was doing that was different. It was what he was saying. He was baptizing people. That was weird enough. But he was also saying that what the prophets had said long ago is about to happen. He came with a different kind of teaching, something the rabbis weren't even talking about, something no one had even thought to say. They'd waited and waited and prayed and prayed for this moment. And John is saying, it's here. And here's the big announcement. John announced in verse 7, someone is coming soon. That's the word. Who is greater than I am. So much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he, he will baptize you with something different, the Holy Spirit. John says, this is what's about to happen, so pay attention. I've been sent to prepare the way for someone who is about to come. And the one who is about to come is greater than I am, so much greater than I am. I'm not even worthy to be his slave. He's so much greater. And he's going to come and he's going to be the one that we have been waiting for. And here's what I find so interesting about the way Mark tells the story. And honestly about the way God authored the story. Is that before God made a move to send Jesus to the world, God made a move to send John. To prepare the way for God to make a move to send Jesus so that people could have an encounter with him. What God did, the way God authored the story, the way Mark tells the story, is God does something through John that sounds a little bit different than what you and I might have expected. Jesus, the Son of God, why does he need anyone to come in front of him? But God sends John to prepare the way. Talk about a purpose-driven life. John knew his mission. He knew why he was here. It was crystal clear. From the time he was born, his mom and dad, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they knew why John was being born. They knew every day they raised him. This kid has a purpose. We cannot screw this up, Zechariah. (laughs) We got to get this right. They raised their boy. He has this mission and he gets it. And he goes and he lives his life on mission. And his job, his mission, his vision for his life, the reason he was born was to prepare the way for others to have an encounter 
with Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. That's why John came. That was his purpose. It reminds me of the story I was thinking this week of a guy by the name of Edward Kimball. Probably no one in the room, maybe somebody has, heard of a guy by the name of Edward Kimball. He was a businessman that lived in Detroit in the 1800s. And he was going to church, and he decided, I want to I do something, I want to help out. And so he decided to, to take on teaching this group of boys at his church in Detroit. And Edward was kind of a shy guy, so this was kind of a big challenge for him. But he, he took it on, and he began trying to teach these, these boys about Jesus and about the love of God, and began to pray for them and pray for them and work with them, and every week try to teach them more and more about, about the love of God. But there was this one kid in class, and if you've ever taught class, you know this kid, right? There's this one kid in class that just wasn't getting it, and he was causing problems, I'm sure he wouldn't sit still. He wouldn't listen. He wouldn't do what he was supposed to do. And it was driving Edward Kimball crazy. And so we just started praying for God to do something in the heart and the life of this, this one boy especially. And one day on his lunch break, he had, he had heard that this, that this kid was working at his uncle's shoe, stop, shoe, shoe store downtown. So one day on his lunch break, Edward decided, okay, I'm going to take my lunch break and I'm going to skip that. And I'm going to go to the, to the shoe store and see if I can talk to this kid about the love of God. I don't, need, I don't even need shoes. I don't want to buy a pair of shoes. I'm just going to go and talk to this kid. And he went to the shoe store, and he's so shy and so nervous, it took him a while to even go in the door. But finally, he goes in, and he finds this kid working in the shoe store, and he begins talking to him more and more over and over again in the middle of the shoe store about how much God loves him, how much God loves him. And he's not even sure in the shoe store if this is even making any sense, if it's connecting. But something happened that day, we would find out later, that day in the shoe store, because this kid did get it. That day in the shoe store, because Edward Kimball had prayed and because he had went and taken his lunch break to go down and visit this young man, somehow in that moment, that kid got it and he gave his life to Jesus and he became a follower of Jesus. You may have never heard of Edward Kimball, but you may have heard of this kid. His name was Dwight Moody or D.L. Moody. You may know that name because he started a church in Chicago, an institute there. And they say that through his ministry and through his work, over a hundred million people came to faith in Jesus. Pretty neat. And that would be amazing if that was the end of the story, but that's not the end of the story. Because the story goes on. Dwight Moody, D.L. Moody, began his ministry and began reaching others for Christ and doing incredible things for Jesus. And one of those people that he touched was a baseball player named Billy Sunday. Now, I know this is hard to believe, but he met this baseball player named Billy Sunday, and he gave up his professional baseball career to become a preacher, an evangelist. I need to tell my son this story. This is big news. He gives it up, and he becomes an evangelist, and he has an incredible ministry. In fact, he reaches hundreds of thousands of people in America with the message of Jesus and the grace of God. Over and over again, he travels around the country talking and holding these revival meetings and telling people about Jesus. And in one of those meetings, he meets another guy by the name of Mordecai Ham. And he begins a discipleship relationship with this guy named Mordecai Ham. And Mordecai Ham, his life is radically touched and affected by the ministry of Billy Sunday and, and learning more and more about the love of God through this 
once upon a time baseball player, now preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Mordecai Ham is so impacted by the ministry and the life and the message of Billy Sunday, which is the message of Jesus, that he decides to hold a revival meeting in Charlotte, North Carolina. Well, this group of high school kids find out that this revival is going on, and they decide to go check it out, not because they are interested in anything about God. They just want to go wreck the party and see what's going on. So they show up at this revival that Mordecai Ham has put together in Charlotte, North Carolina. And that night, one of those high school boys had an encounter with Jesus, and his life was changed forever. You may not know Mordecai Ham, but you might know this kid. His name was Billy. Billy Graham. And rough estimates, best guesses, are that Billy Graham preached in person to 2.2 billion people during his life. A hundred years before, Edward Kimball had no idea what hung in the balance of him taking his lunch break and giving up his sandwich to go to a shoe store to talk to a kid about the love of God. But because he did, D.L. Moody found Jesus. And because he found Jesus, Billy Sunday found Jesus. And because he found Jesus, Mordecai Ham had his life changed by Jesus. And because he had his life changed by Jesus, he had a meeting to talk about this Jesus. And that night, Billy Graham was there. And there's probably some of you in this room today whose lives were affected and touched by his ministry. You see, you just never, ever know what hangs in the balance of your decision, of your decision to prepare the way for someone else to have an encounter with Christ. This this was John the Baptist. This was his whole purpose, his whole mission. But don't miss it. This is your purpose and your mission too. As a disciple of Jesus, the calling on our life is to go and to make more disciples. In other words, prepare the way for other people to have an encounter with Jesus Christ. And if I were to ask you today, I bet you could tell me, who was it? Who was it that prepared the way for you to have an encounter with Jesus? Was it a parent? A coach? A friend? A teacher? Some other influential person in your life, a youth minister? Who was it? Who was it that prepared the way for you to have an encounter with Jesus? Because I'm guessing that somebody, God put somebody in your life to prepare the way for you to have an encounter with your son. And if that's true of you, if that's true of you, and I'm betting that it is, how important is it it for you and I To do that same thing for someone else. To make a move towards someone so that Jesus can make a move towards them. Because here's the reality of the matter. God is moving in you so God can move through you to others. God is constantly at work moving in you. Working in your life. So that you can make a move and prepare the way for someone else to have an encounter with his son, Jesus the Christ. And the question I want you to think about today is who do you need to make a move towards so that Christ can make a move towards them?
That if this is true, if this is how God works, if God is always sending people into people's lives to prepare the way for them to have an encounter with Jesus, then chances are, as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus Christ, God wants to use you to prepare the way for someone else to have an encounter with Jesus. So who is that? Who are you praying for? Who are you, who are you taking to coffee? Who are you trying to, to ha- have an encounter with? or an, Who are you trying to encourage? Who's on your list? Who are you thinking about? Who are you asking God? God, just use me in some way this week to encourage this person, to, to help them understand, to prepare the way for them to have an encounter with you. Who are you inviting? Who are you inviting to church? Or who are you inviting to, to Old Town Capel tonight to come eat a hot dog? And, and they think they're coming to an event, but you know, The invitation is so much bigger because your hope and your prayer is that somewhere along the way, if you keep inviting them to things like that, that at some point they're going to encounter Jesus. That's why it's so important for you and I to live this invitational lifestyle where we are always inviting people into our lives, into our families, into our church. It's because we're hoping at some point through that invitation that they're going to have an encounter with a living God and with his son Jesus the Christ. Who is it that God is putting on your heart for you to reach out to, to make a move towards, so that maybe, just maybe, the day will come when they will have an encounter with Jesus? Church, if you would, let's, let's stand. What are you doing here? I don't have the whole answer to that question, but here is part of it. God wants to use his disciples to prepare the way for other people to encounter Jesus so that they too can become his disciples. And my guess is that there are some of you in the room right now that are thinking, that's awesome. I get it. Not my spiritual gift. (laughs) I get it. I'm just not a great people person. I get it. I I just don't, I think that's somebody else's deal, not mine. But let me ask you this question. What if John the Baptist has said, Mom, Dad, I know what you think God sent me here for, but I just want to move back to the city with friends and hang out. (laughs) I'm going to go to the desert and just become a monk or whatever, you know. What if Edward Kimball had decided not to take time on his lunch break to go visit that young boy in a shoe shop in Detroit? What if you decide this isn't for you and that God can't use you for whatever reason to prepare this way for someone else to encounter Christ? What stories will never be told? You see, you just have no idea what hangs in the balance of your decision to live in to your God-given purpose and part of your God-given purpose, part of my God-given purpose, part of our God-given purpose is to go into this world around us and prepare the way for others to have an encounter with Jesus. This morning, I'm going to ask our elders and their wives in the room to just make their way around the room. And if you want to move towards one of them this morning and ask them to just pray over you, to give you the courage and the confidence and whatever it is you need to do that, then go to them. They'd love to, to pray with you. They're not perfect people, and they'll tell you that, but they are more than happy to pray for you to a perfect God to, to give you whatever it is you need to make a move, to make that kind of move this week. 
If you've never made a move toward Jesus and you want to, you can also make a move towards one of them and they would love to pray with you and talk with you. And, and if you want to make a move into the waters of baptism and be, become a disciple of Jesus, maybe someone has prepared the way for you to receive Christ, to, to encounter Christ, to know Christ. And this morning you're like, it's time. I'm ready to make that move. Man, make that move this morning. And for the rest of us, it's your move. It's your move to make. Christ has made a move towards you. And God is calling you to make a move towards someone else so that, so that someone else can have an encounter with Jesus. It's your move. Let's sing.